0: We're so glad that you're here this morning. We have this week and next week are our last two weeks in the book of James, and we are so excited. I'm going to go ahead and just advance this slide real quick to show you. We are in the epilogue. If you're looking at, at, oh, except that I don't have my slides up there. Yeah, they're coming though. I see, I see. We're getting the switch over here. Um, we're in, let's go back then just for a second. The first slide here was just kind of the book of James introduction. We're in James chapter five, verses seven to twelve. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to that. But what I was showing you before my slide was up there is we're kind of at the end of the book. If you look at the book breakdown, we have the prologue. Uh, and, and at the end of the prologue, we had kind of the theme verse of James. Uh, so if you weren't here at the beginning uh, of this series and you want to snap a picture of this and then kind of go home and look at James maybe this week, you can kind of see where we are, where we've been. But know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And, and then James went on and, and and kind of broke those things down. How does this work in everyday life, right? And so we talked about being quick to hear and what does that look like? What are we called to do? What has Jesus Christ called you and I to do as followers of him uh, in, in in regards to hearing and listening? And then, of course, the action that comes out of that. Then there was a, a kind of some a section on the slowing slow to speak. Uh, some of us are talkers. And when you open up your mouth and you start telling me your problem, I want to fix it. I want to talk, right? Uh and then and and other things. But we looked at that idea of being slow to speak, to really bring in what God is telling you or what other people are telling you, listen to it, process it, uh and and then move forward in that. Slow to anger, that section of course, I know from feedback from you guys, uh is one that the Holy Spirit uses to kind of touch some nerves because a lot of us are quick uh to responses and it's kind of sometimes tough to say yeah that I was probably in anger and I need to change that. I need to work on that. Um, and then, of course, the epilogue, the end of the book. So we've been talking about uh, a lot of real life practical things through the book of James. What does it look like for our faith to be in action? Right? Every day, you know, day in and day out, what does it look like for our faith uh, to be, to be lived out? And, and that's what we're doing. And so we find ourselves here kind of at the end of this book on wisdom, right, uh, back where we were at the beginning. James talked about trials, that you have trials in your life. You've gone through trials. If you're not in the middle of a trial right now, more likely than not you've come out of a trial or you're about to go into a trial. And some trials that we go through in life never end. They kind of just keep going on and on. They may get better, but they don't end. And so how do we live in response to what's going on in our lives, what the world has done to us, how we've been affected by things around us. We have these trials and these troubles all around us, and how do we practically live out? And that's really what James takes a lot of time uh, to discuss, This the, and using wisdom in that. And, and James is going to give us the key this week. So you're, even if this is your first week here, you are here on the right week because James is going to give us the key to enduring trials, right? To, to make it through, to live through them, to not only get through them but to thrive through them, and that is patience, patience. And and we're going to see that in the passage today. James is going to say, "Wait for it, wait for it, right." So I, I I don't know about you, but patience is difficult for me sometimes. I don't ask for hands very often, and I'm not asking for hands, but I see a few hands here that have been raised. But I'm saying, I, patience is sometimes tough for me, right? I'm not always a patient person. I know I'm old. I'm older. But do you guys remember the days when you would order something and it would take longer than... A day to get there. <laughs> I mean, right? We're we're living in an Amazon Prime world. But when I was thinking about this this week and the idea of patience, I thought back to Columbia uh, Columbia House CDs. How many of you guys remember those? Columbia House, right? We're dating ourselves. I see those hands and I recognize you guys. Um, but I remember the first time I was able to do that. It was late high school. I don't even want to dare say that my parents let me do it. I think I just did it. And so I wanted the 12 CDs for a penny. And then you had, yeah. And then you had to buy three CDs at regular price, which was like $24.99 plus shipping and handling, right? and all, that whole thing. And I remember sending in that card. Do you guys remember the card that literally had a place for you to tape a penny? I taped a penny onto the card and I sent it in and then I waited for those 12 CDs. Right? My yellow Magnavox boombox sitting on my dresser ready to play those CDs when they got there. And it took weeks. Dare I say even a month plus? I can't remember, so I don't want to beat up on Columbia House right now. But I'm telling you, it took a while for those CDs to show up, right? And I'm not very patient. So I was running to the mailbox every day and open it. Back in that, that day and age, you didn't have to lock your mailbox, right? You ran up there and you pulled it open. There was nothing in there but, but mail. So you just shut it and left that for mom and dad, right? And ran back home. It was up the block from us and everything. But I wanted these CDs. And I, I was, I, it was, it was like a a trial of patience. God was, was, and maybe I didn't order enough Christian CDs, right? Maybe it was, it was, it was, so I had to wait extra long. And we live in an Amazon Prime world, right? Like we live in a world that if it's not here in two days, we're upset. And and if we've ordered something up and it's, it it says it's going to be here tomorrow, how many of us are watching the updates, right? We're, We're clicking on our computer. We're trying to find out where it's at. Where is it? Where is it now? Okay. It's in Eugene. All right. Now it's in Portland and now federal way. They drove right past my house. Why didn't they drop it off? Right? My wife at Christmas time watched something go from Tacoma all the way out to Tennessee and then back to us in DuPont. Isn't that crazy? But again, I I understand how, you know, all those things work, but we're impatient people. And of course that affects our lives. And and so James is going to say, you know what? You need to wait upon the Lord, right? And, and that's hard. Because how many of you, again, no no hands raised necessary. How many of you have been waiting on the Lord for something? And it's not days and weeks and even months. Sometimes it's, it's years. And as Pastor Kevin and I were, were praying over this passage and talking about it, we had to acknowledge sometimes you're even waiting for a lifetime. Right, You might get the health diagnosis that doesn't resolve. You don't get healing here on this earth. And it won't come until eternity. Maybe you're praying for restoration uh, of a relationship. And that sometimes isn't quick. It takes a long time for for a friendship to be restored. Or or even a family member for you to, to get back to where you can have a relationship with that person. And it may not come. And yet God has called us to wait on him. We are supposed to respond in maturity and wisdom and grow. But sometimes we don't see resolution in what we are waiting for. And, and, And James today is going to tell us to wait for it. Because I can assure you it will be worth the wait. If you can learn to use godly patience in everything in life. It'll be worth the wait, and he's going to give us three positive examples of the waiting, uh, and several imperatives or commands to to do while we wait, and so today, even though it's a short little passage, and and dare I say, might be one of my shortest sermons ever, I'm telling you right now, there are some nuggets in it, so if you have your pen and paper with you, I would encourage you to take some notes, Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want a copy, even though we'll have God's word up here on the screen, back on our information table. I know this morning I brought six new ones and we had a couple others. We have copies of God's word and I want to invite you even now while I'm preaching, hop up, run back there, grab one of those and let that be a gift from us to you because I would love nothing more than you to take that home uh, and start reading that and 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 growing in your faith uh, or maybe you're seeking today. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in God uh, and you don't even know what I'm talking about. But man, alive, you'd be interested in grabbing one of those Bibles. Let that be a gift from us to you today. So we'll jump- jump right into James, uh, the end of the book. I don't know why it says chapter seven there. That's wrong. Uh, that was a typo of some sort, but I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. We're in James five, uh, and we're starting in verse seven. James says, be patient. Therefore brothers. Brothers. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient, therefore, brothers. James starts with this thesis statement. Wait for it. He says, be patient. Right? Wait for it. He's just finished talking. Last week we looked at the, the unbelieving rich. Remember? And, and again, he's, he's preaching to the dispersed Jews and and he's saying to these unbeliev or these believing Jews that have unbelieving Gentile rich landowners as their bosses that they are going to take advantage of you they're going to wrong you but be encouraged the Lord is in control. Right? He is the judge and he will bring justice. Right? And so all of these encouragements last week, even though he was talking about the oppression that was going on, the reality of that oppression for these day workers that weren't getting paid and their families were starving. And, and James says, God knows, God sees it, he's on your side right and and trust in him. Well, he continues on here uh through that after that encouragement and he sees uh he's transitioning and we know that because we see the word therefore. Be patient therefore. In light of what I just said, right? Be patient. He's going to teach us the response in the midst of these trials. Be patient. Therefore, the word patient is used twice in verse seven, once in verse eight, once in verse 10, right? Four times total in these short amount of verses. Then he switches to this word steadfast, which means the same and yet different. So he's, he's really trying to pound across this idea, right? And it shouldn't be hard for you and I, when we're always looking for repeated words to see what the big idea in this section is. He's talking about Patience, being a patient person, waiting upon the Lord. Patience is a biblical virtue. It's not just here in James, but it's talked about throughout scripture. You and I have been called as Christians, if you place your faith in God, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as your payment for your sin to write that relationship between you and God. You are now a Christian and you need to become more Christ-like. That's what it's like going down the path of discipleship, right? And then part of that is to learn to become a patient person. So if you just think back a few minutes ago, when I said I'm not a patient person all the time, that is an area that I know and acknowledge that I need to work on. And I, and I know, uh, because of engagements with some of you, that some of you are there too. It's not just me that's suffering with this. And, and it was a big enough issue that James would even write about that. So even though I know that I've been called to be a patient person, sometimes uh, I, I, I get tired of something that's happening or going on, whether it's in the world or in my family or at work, and I get tired of it, and then I, 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 I don't practice patience. Patience. Right, I I get a little bit frustrated. And the last thing I want to hear is, is for one of you to come and encourage me to be a more patient person. It's not what I want to hear because I know it's something that I've struggled with and that I do struggle with. And as I was looking at this this week, I thought, well, maybe we could we could we could look at the Greek word. Does it really mean patience? Does it mean what I think it means, right? And and, and really patience, the Greek version of it is long suffering, right? And and I thought, man, alive! I kind of like the word patience better. Long suffering. God's calling me to wait a long time through the suffering, through the trial. Right, And so it didn't get any better going to the Greek, but we at least knew that, okay, what James is writing about is, is what God wanted us to hear, right? I don't want to suffer for a long time, and I, I don't want you to either. And yet, trials and suffering is the vehicle for growth. Not only here in James will we see that, but we'll see that throughout Scripture. God is refining you and who you are through the toughest times, I still remember Gwen telling me stories of when she was a kid. Uh, her legs would ache really bad at night. It would wake her up, and, and she couldn't fall back to sleep. And that was growing pains, right? Those aching legs. Maybe you, some of you remember that from when you were growing up, or you remember your kids complaining about it, that just aching in their legs. And, and yet we know that through that pain, growth occurred, right? And you grew into the person that you are because your body grew. And sometimes that was painful, And it's the same in our Christian walk, right? It's the same in the spiritual realm. It's the same in our emotional realm. It takes pain and going through it in a godly way or learning from our mistakes as we went through the pain. That's where growth occurs. And I know I want to grow. And I know that a lot of you have told me in the past, you want to grow in your faith, right? And so God wants us to grow. And and here James is saying, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's going to be a lot of pain. So I'm asking you today, are you hurting today? And if so, can you trust in God when he says, wait for it, wait for it. You will grow. You will learn James hits here also on a historical fact. He says the, the coming of the Lord, right? He, he's talking about that. Be patient uh, until the, the coming of the Lord. It was a historical fact that Jesus lived. The, the, the people he was writing to knew about Jesus. Not all of them were followers of Jesus when Jesus was on the earth, but a lot of them came to understand who Jesus really was after his death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension to heaven. And, and so James is saying, look, Jesus was here, and Jesus is coming again. He doesn't say if Jesus comes again. He says when, right? It's when Jesus comes again. The second coming, he has promised to come back, and he will. And so these are historical facts, and James is saying, wait patiently. And he gives us the first positive example here in verse 7. Okay, if we look up there, it says, be patient like the Farmer, okay, somebody's reading along with me. Be patient like a farmer. And then he goes on to say the farmers wait for the rain. Okay, I don't know how many of you have had family or, or how closely related or knowledge of farmers, but I had none. I grew up in Tacoma, right, at all. But I met Gwen down in Oregon at college, and she was from North Dakota. So the first time I went to North Dakota, I met a ton of farmers. And these are great people. Right? These are hard workers. And I was like, man, I can learn a ton from these people. And, and there was an old retired farmer that lived in town. Her, her town was about 850 people, Mott, North Dakota. And he would walk around town in the middle of the summer when I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, young 20-year-old guy, right? And he would be in his overalls and his long-sleeve flannel, eating a, a, an onion. Just like an apple, right? And, and I got to talk to him a few different times. And, and the knowledge that came from him. But he would talk about the rain. Waiting for the rain. And that there was patience that was involved in that. And yet while he waited. He did things. And James is going to get there in a minute. right? But the, the farmer waits for the rain. Because there's precious fruit that comes from it. But how does the farmer wait? Let's think about that for a second. First of all. He's got to wait for the weather because he's not in control of it at all, and, and I would hear that, and over the years as we went out there to visit family, I would hear about that over and over. Farmers know they are, they are not in control of the weather, and they'll watch storms on the radar and hear about it, and they see it off in the distance, and they don't know if it's going to hit their fields or not. I've heard stories from farmers there in North Dakota that stood in their fields watching the field across the street, right across the highway, right, the dirt highway, being destroyed by hail, and yet their farm wasn't touched. I've also talked to the farmers who were the ones that got destroyed, whether it was the hail or lack of rain, where someone else ended up with a huge crop that year. So there's a lot of patience. There's a lot of waiting on things that they can't control. That's why James brings up the farmer. Cause you gotta understand, there's a lot of things out of your control. And yet the, the farmer waits patiently on the rains, the early and the late. He can't control it. But also, he works while he waits. For any of you that have had family that have, have either had a farm, whether it was, it was crops or animals, you know that they knew how to work. And if you were lucky enough maybe to go spend a week during the summer or a couple of weeks with that grandparent or that family member, you learned what real work was like, right? While you were patiently waiting, you worked hard. There are things you can't control, but there are also things you can control. And this is so important. This is, it's crucial to remember this. The farmer needs the rain for success, for the precious fruit, but he knows he can't control that. And so what does he do? He does what he can control and he does all the things that are behind the scene, getting everything ready to do his part Uh, of planting the seeds, protecting the seeds, you know, anything that he can do ready to, to, uh, to, to, to pick up the fruit once it's ready. And, and he's ready for all of those things while he patiently waits, right? No amount of rain dance works for a farmer. I heard that a few different times over the years, right? And they have to wait for it, They have to wait for it, but they don't sit around twiddling their thumbs, right? Being a farmer meant working hard while you waited. They had to weed. They had to cultivate the soil, ready the storehouses, get their equipment ready. There was always things that they needed to do. They were actively waiting. James has given us an active faith throughout the book, right? We've talked about that. People are sometimes like, well, I don't like James. James makes it look like I have to work for my salvation. And, and you're always telling me, Pastor Mark, that salvation is a free gift. And, and you're right. The free gift is given, but then you're called to action. You and I are called to be active. And so James, this idea of, of a faith that works, that's why we have that there at the bottom of the screen and, and have for the whole series, we've been called to do things for the Lord. We've been called to do great things for the Lord. We need to have an active faith, and that's what the book of James is all about. So if I'm going to wait like the farmer, right, then I got to let God be responsible for the things that he says he's responsible for. As a farmer, I trust God for the rain, right? And whether it comes or not, I'm trusting God to take care of me. But I also need to be responsible for the things that are in my control. And I think James knew that. And that's what this book's been about. And he wants us to know, you've been called to be patient like the farmer. Trusting in the Lord, waiting on the Lord. But you need to be active, And that's what the rest of this book's been about. You need to be active. The command to establish your heart is a a call to fully trust in the fact that God is in control. Right? And that I have a job to do while I wait. James continues on here and says, be patient like a farmer. But also, he's going to tell us who else we can be patient like. He starts out here uh, talking about kind of this, this idea of grumbling or fighting Christian to Christian. And notice what he says here. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. He's writing to Christians. Don't fight with each other, right? So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. So next, James is going to say, be patient like the prophets. You and I just studied right before this study through James, we we studied the book of Malachi, the last prophet who wrote before 400 years of silence, God didn't speak through any prophets and then Jesus Christ came. So we've studied some of the prophets. We know what's going on and, and, and James is saying, hey, we need you not to grumble or fight with the other believers, right? One another, brothers. Life is tough enough without you fighting with your family, Right, And I'm talking about spiritual family here. What is it about life struggles, though, that make us so apt to turn negative on those who we love the most? Why do we fight with our family? Why do we fight with those who are closest to us? Why do we grumble? Why do we complain? Why do we whine? Why do we, we turn to our closest friends and, and, and grumble about somebody else who's in our friend group? Or we call up our sister to grumble about our brother. Why do we do that? Why do we fight with those that are the closest to us? Or we'll try to drag people in that aren't even part of the problem. Right? And, and, and James, he's warning us and he's trying to motivate us. He's saying, do not grumble against one another. Don't fight. Don't look for reasons to be at arms uh, up against uh, those other believers, those around you. And he uses the motivation of the judge standing at the door. Look at that. He says, literally, it means look, right? He's calling you as as the reader to look. The picture that James is painting is that of a courtroom, right? And the bailiff has just proclaimed, all rise, the Honorable Judge Yahweh is about to enter the room, right? And we all are going to look up and we're going to focus up, right? His hand, the hand is on the doorknob. They're about to open it up. He's about to come in. I, I sat on a murder trial a few years ago, jury duty, right? And somehow I keep getting called for this. this I'm about to go into my fifth one. Okay, February thirteenth. I start my fifth week of jury duty ever. Uh but yeah, I mean the last one I had was here in, in Tacoma, Pierce County, and, and it was a murder trial that I got to sit on. And I'm telling you, when the judge walked in, everybody got quiet, right? We all got quiet. We're ready to go, right? The judge is gonna is gonna start the proceeding. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, hey, hey, focus up. The judge is at the door. Listen up, right? At the judgment seat of Christ, I, as a believer, will be judged based on my faithfulness or my lack thereof. Any grumbling against other believers will be addressed, right? And I I need to not take that lightly. It, It was a year or plus ago that we went through the book of Revelation, but it is clear Your salvation is not in question, but you as a believer will stand before a judgment seat of Christ to be judged on your work that you did here on the earth. I hope you believe that because all you got to do is go home and read the book of Revelation and it's crystal clear. Again, you can't lose your salvation. You will be in heaven forever, but God will judge what you did. Your faithfulness. God is going to judge that someday. And, and I'm telling you, that should cause you to want to live a certain way. Because you will stand before a righteous God and be accountable for the things that you do. And again, let me be crystal clear. This is not to see if you've earned your way into heaven. That has nothing to do with that. Salvation is based on Jesus Christ's death on the cross alone. His blood that was shed for you is the payment for the sin that you needed. And all you have to do is receive that gift. Then he was buried and he was uh, raised from the dead on that third day. Conquered the power of sin and death and hell Right, And we believe in that. That gets you into heaven. But then God is going to address the things that you did or didn't do on this earth. In verse 10, James gives us a second positive example. And he says, be like the prophets. Right? Who were the prophets? Well, they were in the Old Testament. And they spoke for God. The message that God had for the world, for his people. Right, Most of the time it was to Israel, not always, and and they had a special calling on their life. These prophets were called by God, and then they spoke to the people for him. Often it was not well received. If you go through the prophet books, you'll see a lot of times the people didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. They were treated harshly or even persecuted by their own people. They were ignored, rejected, abused, even killed for their message. Right? There's 13 prophetic books. You can read those, spend time in those, and see, oh, the calling of God on my life. That's incredible. And what does it promise? Well, obviously, eternity with God. But it also promises you that life is going to be real tough, but that God will be with you through that. So these prophets, despite life-threatening persecution, spoke in the name of the Lord. We see that in verse 10 there. The prophets, much like the farmers, show us that patience doesn't mean inactivity. There's stuff to be done while we wait on the Lord. Remember that patience and endurance are closely tied together. You need to be a patient person waiting on the Lord, but you need to run This race that's been laid out before us. You need to run with endurance. They continued. The prophets continued to speak for God. When times got tough, they didn't back off. They didn't slow down. They didn't quit doing what they were called to do. But they went forward because they trusted God. While they waited for justice from God, they kept doing what God had called them to do. Jeremiah. Big book. Good book to read. Jeremiah was often called the weeping prophet, right? He's a prime example of this. He may have been the most harshly abused prophet in the Bible. He preached faithfully for several decades only to have negative responses from the people. People kept showing up to listen and then they didn't like what he said. And then they would come back again thinking, well, maybe he's changed his tune, but he didn't. He was faithful to what God had called him to. And the people would get ticked again, right? He was chased down, beaten, put in stocks. We see that in Jeremiah 20, verse 2. He was placed in prison. We see that in chapter 32. And then he was thrown into a muddy cistern and left to die in the muck and the mire and the wetness and the rain in chapter 38. And yet Jeremiah served 47 years during the fall of Judah and never relented. We like pulling a verse out of Jeremiah every once in a while, right? You know, and we're like, this is a great verse, and we, and we hang our hat on it. And it is a great verse. There are a lot of great verses there. But read the whole story. God has called him to do something that was hard, and there was trial, and there was, and there was trouble, and there was hurt, and there was pain, and yet he kept showing up, and he kept doing it. So, what can we take away from the example of the prophets, right? What can we take away from the example that, that James is giving us here? And I see that waiting, right, in our patience, waiting includes witnessing. Brothers and sisters, we got to commit to sharing the message of Jesus Christ faithfully. I truly believe that's why. James brings up the prophets. They had one goal, to share the news from God. You and I, right, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been called by Jesus Christ himself to go and share the good news. Now, for some of us, going is in our kitchen at the table with our kids, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ so that they grow up in their faith. Some of us have been called to share the good news with the people in our neighborhood. Dare I would say that's all of us, right? And it's not always with words. It can be with actions, but it can't only be with actions. We got to have some words, right? So our our friends in our neighborhood, our family members, how many of you are sitting out there today that have family members that don't believe in Jesus Christ as their personal savior? Are you motivated by the reality of heaven To share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. How about our workplace? I know most of us have been told we can't talk about those things, right? But we have lunch breaks. We have our coffee break. We have an opportunity to invite somebody after, after work, maybe for, for, to our house for dinner or out for a coffee, go to lunch. Opportunities to share the good news. God has called us to do that. He's called us to be like the prophets of old and share the good news. That God has for us. No matter what the response is. We talked about Jeremiah. And the responses that he got. To God's word. And yet he was faithful and kept doing it. We've talked about it before, but the beautiful thing is I believe that if you articulate the the gospel message that Jesus Christ loves you and he came to this earth for you and that he died on the cross for you and that he was resurrected on the third day, I I truly believe, as most of you do, if not all of you, that the Holy Spirit is the one who works in that person's life. So it doesn't have to be articulated perfectly. Holy Spirit can take your stammering or your stuttering and, and cause someone to understand it. And place their faith in Jesus Christ. You have not been sent alone to do this. A lot of times that's the argument I get. Or the push back. When I'm talking to somebody. Man pastor I wish you could come and, and talk to so and so. I think they would hear it from you. And I'm like no they're going to hear it from you. And Holy Spirit's with you. And he's going to help. And so we have been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. By remaining Steadfast. We will be blessed, right? We need to wait for it. And we be, need to be ready to do it. Going into our last slide here, since obviously I'm not going to be, this isn't going to be my quickest sermon ever. But we're going to hit these last uh, couple of verses here and see what James has to say for us. He's going to say, be patient like Job. Right? Most of you know the story of Job. We'll touch on it quickly here in a second. But he gives us his third and final positive example. And that is to be patient like Job. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You've heard it sometimes, or you've heard that the steadfastness of Job. James is bringing up an example that all of these readers would have known about, and I would I would dare argue that probably most of you have heard of Job, the Old Testament. There's a book written about him, um, and and this this is a, a a quick summation of Job's life. If you don't know it, Job was a, a faithful servant of God, and in the <clears throat> Excuse me. In the beginning of the book of Job, we're, we're shown that there's a conversation that happens in heaven between God and Satan. Okay, and so this is setting up the book here. Satan is convinced that Job is only faithful to God because God has blessed him so much, right? Well, of course, Job is is faithful to you and loves you because look at what you've done for him, right? He is sure that Job wouldn't love God so much and serve him so faithfully if he were allowed just to remove some of those blessings. So that's what he proposes to God. And God allows Job to be tested. And we read, we read that Job lost his wealth, he lost his health, and he even lost his family Everything good in his life seems to be completely devastated if you read the book of Job. If you've ever read through that book, you know that there are 40 some odd chapters of painful trials of emotions, of frustration, right? Of friends and his own wife telling Job to curse God and die. Great friends to have around you, right, when you're going through a tough time, right? It's a tough read. If you haven't read it, I don't even know that I necessarily would encourage that to be the next thing you read. Someday get to it, but I mean, it is a tough read. (coughs) And yet, after all of this happens, right... Job continues to address his friends. He continues to address God. He's asking all the right questions and he's not changing his mind. And this is what he declares. Though the Lord may slay me, yet I will hope in him. His faith never wavered. His trial never ended. And yet he stood there patiently waiting on the Lord. He didn't fight with those around him, right? He made his arguments and then he got this so-called encouragement from his friends, right? But he didn't fight back. He made statements of truth about God, There were ups and there were downs in in the story of Job. And the bottom line is he perseveres, he endures, and, and in the end, God does restore his blessing. And then some. That's what James refers to here in verse 11. He says, and have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful For those of you that know the story of Job, for the original readers who know the story, for those of you who just heard the recap of it, now maybe understand better what James is writing there. They've seen the purpose of the Lord, growth, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I do know that there is much suffering in your life, brothers and sisters, But God will give you a Job ending. Whether here on this earth or in eternity. It doesn't always come on the earth. But God's promises are true. His faithfulness is true. And the happy ending, the happily ever after in heaven will be so much better than even the greatest here on this earth. If you can know that for eternity you will be in the presence of God, that will help you when you need to stand firm in the trials. You will be showered with blessing in the presence of God himself. That is a truth and we need to know that and believe that. We need to wait for that because it's coming. And now James's final command here, he says, but above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And and some see this command as a little unusual and the context, should it really be with the passage we just looked at and the three examples, should it be with the next, does it stand alone? Do I do a whole sermon just on that one verse, right? I mean, we, we talked about that this week and yet we really see that there is some uh, some some continuity here. Cultury, culturally, culturally speaking, the Jews were known for making oaths. We see that in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham and 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 the, the 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 different leaders of Israel over the years, and and it got to the place where they were just basically swearing on anything. I mean, uh, if you remember, uh, Abraham grabs the inner thigh of a guy; he's making a, uh, an oath with, right? I mean, they were they were willing to make an oath on anything. I swear on my mother's grave, right? Or uh, this time I'm really serious. You know, whatever it was, they were doing that. And James knows that. James, and, and he knows that we're guilty in our own ways of doing that. But he, he wants to connect this to it. he says, hey, we're going to fit this into context here. Because when you're patient in your suffering, when you're suffering, don't be tempted to make big statements, even to God. Now hear me out. As I was praying over this and looking at this this week, I had to say to myself, how many times have I said to God, if you will only do this, I will never or I will always do this from now on. Again, I don't want to see hands, but I know I'm not the only person that's tried to make a deal with God on certain things. If I can have this happen in my life, Lord, I I promise that as I move forward, I'll live differently. If this, if you could show up in this way, that would change everything, right? This would be a great deal for you, great deal for me. If you get me out of this one, I'm never going to sin in this way again. If you save my life, I'm going to serve you forever, right? People make oaths in the midst of suffering. And James is just saying, be a man or a woman of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because normally those big statements, then we're guilty of breaking. I'll never do this again if you help me out. God steps in, he helps you out, and then you do it again. And so God is just saying, be a man or a woman of character and integrity. In the midst of trials, trust God. Living a life of character that our words can be believed without having to swear oaths. That people know who you are. And that's how Job did it. If we think back to who James was just writing about. In Job 42, God testified that Job had spoken of God what was right. God testified that about Job. Man, I would love to have something like that said of my life by God. That Job had, Job had spoken of God what was right. Right? I want to wait on the Lord. I want to wait on his timing until the day of the Lord. I want to speak of him what is right. I say yes to waiting on the Lord. I say no to grumbling with my family, with my friends, with those believers around me. I I say no to crumbling under pressure. And I say no to swearing Ridiculous oaths. Friends, I hate to tell you this, but you already know it. Trials are inevitable. Right? They're the background noise, really, of, of earth, right? Of life on this earth. Trials and trub- troubles are, are coming, right? And they're tripping us up. And there's a lot of pain here on this planet. But we are called to be patient and to endure And to wait for it. Because God is faithful. So this morning we've been called to wait like the farmer who trusted God. For what only God could do. Only God could bring the rain. And he trusted. We've been called to be be like the prophets who continued to speak on behalf of the Lord. No matter what the response of those who they were speaking to. And we've been called to be like Job and to speak well of the Lord despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in.